we do reflections in the math class on a Google form and we do it on our baseball team. And one of the questions we always ask is start, stop, continue. Like what's something we're doing in the math classroom that you would like us to stop doing What's something you would like us to start doing and what's something you'd like us to continue doing. And we do it with the baseball team too. And a lot of times the things that they want us to stop doing are the things that they don't understand the reason that we're doing them. And that's the same in the math classroom, right? Like I In this Where Are They Now episode, we speak with Tom Marker, a sixth grade teacher from Ohio. Tom is back to update us on how he's been progressing, moving his students away from relying solely on algorithms and moving more towards reasoning and applying strategies when solving problems in math class. After an update from Tom, you'll hear the current pebble knocking around in his shoe as he seeks to find balance when it comes to the expectations he holds for students in his classroom and how he can help his parents at home better understand the why on what's happening in his classroom. This is another Math Mentoring Moment episode where we talk with a member like you from the Math Moment Maker community who's working through common problems of practice. And together, we brainstorm possible next steps and strategies to overcome them. Now, before we dive in here and cue up the music, have you submitted your math class pebble? That's happening in your shoe right now. I know there's one rattling around in there and you just want to noodle on it. You want to get it out and you want to like chat about it. Hey, we'd love to chat about it with you. So join us over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. Fill out a couple sentences and we might chat with you here on this podcast real soon. All right, Kyle, let's get to it. Here we go. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers from MakeMathMoments.com and who together with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver problem-based math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite your teacher moves. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast, where we are doing another math mentoring moment episode. This time, we're checking in with Tom. I don't know, John, I distinctly remember this conversation way back from, was it 124? 129. 129. Uh, mathematics. Uh, 129. Math I guess my memory doesn't serve me as well as I thought. So 129 is the episode number where Tom came in and Tom had all kinds of really great things going on and his struggles were more, it sounded like just things that he wanted to make sure that he was doing well. And in this conversation, John, I don't know if you got the sense that I feel like he's in the same place where he's got some ideas, he's doing a great job with them and he just wants to make sure that he's doing it to the highest degree that he possibly can. Yeah, I kind of agree in the sense that he wants obviously the best for his students, but I'm going to argue, Kyle, he's not in the same spot. It was clear that he had progressed from where he was oh, for last sure. year yes, when yes. we had talked to him. And back then he was talking about how to help kids understand the algorithms. And we hadn't really maybe talked specifically about the why behind some of the algorithms. He was kind of dabbling in that, but then he wanted to give kids real strategies to use outside the classroom, like things that could take with them 
to the next grade, but also in life to when we talk about good strategies, which it was great. And then he's progressed from there to kind of keep going in that realm. And he's had lots of new strategies. He's been trying to get his students to understand. He's been working with how to get kids to think deeper in this last year. And that has been awesome. And in this conversation, we talk about how to strike up that balance between setting great expectations for your kids, but then also communicating those home so that parents understand what's happening in the classroom versus what they think might be happening in the classroom. So you're going to hear all about that. So stick around and hey, maybe you will pick that up as well. All right, let's do it. Hey, hey there, Tom. Welcome back to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. It has been a little while since we spoke with you last. I think it was episode 129. Yeah, 129. When you joined us. Yeah. Way back. And just for everybody who's listening, just to kind of recap what we were talking about, we were talking about efficiency in math class. We were talking about, I even remember this idea of trying to sort of get students to kind of be a little bit more open to having that struggle. We hit on things like balance, like the, what is the right balance between conceptual and procedural and all kinds of other things. How are you doing since the last we spoke there, Tom? I think it's going really well. I taught in a class this year. I shared an open wall classroom with another teacher and they went on maternity leave. So I took over about 50 kids in, in one room myself, two intervention specialists, and we did have a substitute teacher in basically just to help out and didn't do much of the teaching. So it's kind of interesting. So, but the year went really well. It was an awesome year and things went really well. So awesome stuff. Tom, do us a favor, remind any listeners who listened a while ago, a year ago, or new listeners who maybe haven't listened to that episode yet. Uh, take a moment here, remind everybody where you're coming from, what you're teaching, what grade level you're teaching, that kind of thing. We won't go into the backstory like we've done in the past. We can let all those guys go back and listen to one, one, what'd you say, Kyle? 129. That's right. Tom, yeah. Fill us in on where you're coming from. What's your role? Yeah. So a uh, sixth grade math teacher, Olentangy Orange, which is just north of Columbus, Ohio, a suburb of Columbus, and uh, teach sixth grade math. Next year, I'll be taking on an accelerated 7-8 class as well, which is basically sixth graders that are taking a seventh and eighth grade math in one year. And so it'll be three sixth grade courses and one Excel 7-8 course with the idea that those kids will all take algebra as seventh graders. Very interesting. And something that caught my attention already, just kind of filling us in on your current situation where it sounds like there was like a team teaching thing going on. And then one of your colleagues had to go on leave. And now all of a sudden you've got 50 students that you're working with more than one adult in the room, which of course is really helpful. Can you kind of paint us a bit of a picture? Like, how did that go? Like, was that an enjoyable experience? Do you think that you were able to do some of the things that you had been aiming to do the last we spoke? How did that go overall? So only one, of, I teach four classes, four, we call them cores. So one of the cores had two intervention specialists in there as well. But the other three cores were just myself and about 50, 55 students in an open wall classroom. I enjoyed it. I thought just as we got going through the year and kids became more comfortable discussing and sharing ideas and stuff, it really opened it up and it gave us a lot of different voices in the classroom. But I do think I missed the boat on some kids. When you have that many students and trying to make sure you don't let anybody fall through and I'm actually on a new book right now. And I know you guys mentioned it several times on the podcast with the creating thinking classrooms. And I see how it's just going to flip the way I do things next year. I think if I had, I read it before this year, I think 
the 50 student classroom, 55 student classroom would have went a lot smoother than it did. But I have some ideas going forward, which I think will help. It can definitely help there. And it is definitely, I would say, hard to manage when you have that many kids, for sure. Observations, conversations, it's going to be tough to manage with lots and lots of students. Tom, if we kind of stretch back to where you were a year ago and kind of fill in some gaps a little bit along this way as well. That conversation that we had, Kyle kind of talked a little bit about what we talked about, but I re- what I remember as well is you had voiced some like your goals were to like help kids with not necessarily algorithms in class, but give them tools that were going to be useful outside of class. And then we did talk about like how to like hold back on some algorithms and introduce some ways for you and the students to kind of build some conceptual understanding as well first, and then kind of introduce algorithms along the way. Fill us in on like where you were then in your own words, and then like what has happened since then on your journey. So thinking pedagogically, thinking about some of the aspects you've tried in your class and then landing where you are now. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Like, I don't want to say that, like sometimes I read things or I'll see things and I'm like, man, I already do that in my classroom and it kind of affirms what I'm doing and I think it's working in a positive way. One thing that's been big is, and I don't know if I'll use the right terms, there's so many terms out there, but like problem strings and getting students to what I call it, because I also coach baseball. So in baseball, we teach things like on a progression, right? And one thing builds to the next and you learn some things in this piece that are going to get you to the next step. And then you use those prior skills and, and keep adding upon those. And I think I've done that a lot in the classroom. I was just talking to somebody the other day about like multiplying with decimals and starting off with whole numbers and then putting a decimal in and talking about what that looks like. And so for me, I've really tried to stay away from the algorithms and not race to the algorithm. Like that's been a big, big push in my classroom and get away from the gimmicks like the is over of and the keep change flip of fractions and things along those lines. And I've really worked hard to try to find ways to teach the why behind it and then eventually arrive at the algorithm. I don't know the exact name, but there's a guy that does a bunch of TikToks, unreal. And so a lot of what he puts out that I really like because it helps you understand the why behind it. And he, he does it in such a way that I try to read a lot of stuff on Twitter and then filter it to my kids in a way that they can understand. And I take a lot from him. I take a lot from, there's a, would you rather that? I, and again, I forget the lady that always puts out the would you rather, but shows different ways to solve problems. And then I'll, I'll always show those to our students and say, do you have an additional way to add into there? And then 
is the algorithm the most efficient or the best method in this way? Or do you have a better way to do it mentally that makes you do it a little bit more efficient? I love it. And it makes so much sense. And you kind of made the connection to baseball. And again, before we hit record, I said, thanks for wearing the Jays hat, making the Canadians feel good here. But also connecting it to baseball, it's the same idea where there might be certain routines in baseball that you do, but every situation may or may not make that routine make sense, right? So there's certain times that we do certain things in baseball where it makes perfect sense. And then in other times, maybe it doesn't, right? So it's very situational. I really like that. So some of Howie's work there, I wonder if maybe you were referencing, maybe it was Pam Harris who does some of her uh, her strat chats on Twitter, which are really cool as well, where the problem she's selecting sort of elicit certain strategies. They sort of like lend themselves to certain strategies. And I always find that really, really helpful too. So I'm wondering... What is on your mind lately? It sounds like a lot of the things we had chatted about, you've been feeling pretty good about them. You had an interesting scenario with like 50 students coming together, but like what's on your mind currently? So you're reading Peter's book, uh, Thinking Classrooms. Where's your head at? What's that like pebble kicking around in your shoe right now? For me, the biggest struggle right now is making sure that I don't have a standard that's too high. I know that sounds probably, I don't know if it sounds right to everybody, but you get kids in a classroom, especially with 50, but even at 20, there's varying levels of understanding. There's varying backgrounds. Kids are coming from different elementary schools, so they may have heard different terminology or use different strategies, and some may just have an algorithm. So I just think um, trying to get my students to be thinkers, and I think with the book that you just mentioned that I'm reading now is not to rush into even content. They talk about using non-curricular thinking tasks and trying to get students to understand what the environment's going to be like throughout the course of the year. What's this class all about? And I got to get away from just pushing content and more about getting the environment of learners in the room and getting them comfortable in that situation first and foremost. And I think making sure that the standard is the standard that we want students to think, period. We don't want them to get answers. And I think a lot of times I've got to do a better job of working with the support staff, whether it's a tutor, whether it's a parent at home, whether it's an intervention specialist, and just helping them understand that we're not in the business of answer getting. We don't want just answers. We're in a business of understanding what's going on with math and the world and things along those lines. So and then I've been really hard to implement like character traits and things along those lines into the math classroom. I use a lot of Desmos and there's so many things within Desmos that you can incorporate that are non-math specific, but they can tie back into the math. So... I think that's my biggest thing is how do I get the struggling learner to be in that thinking classroom and to feel like they belong, I would say. Gotcha. So a struggling learner in a thinking classroom. And are you experiencing that you're seeing kids who feel that they don't belong or maybe let's dig a bit, a little bit there on what you're seeing, what you're witnessing. How are you identifying this as a big issue you want to discuss? Like, I think every student feels like the an A is success, right? And a B is slightly less successful and a C is non-successful or you're not getting as much success as the A. And trying to get students to understand where they are and just growing from that point is a success. And I think so many times, even as a teacher or a coach or an intervention specialist or support staff or tutor or whatever, if the student's not getting all the right answers, you feel like they're not successful in that classroom. And so for me, sometimes I tell kids that, a hard-earned C when you came in with maybe lower level understanding and you only understood 40% of the content and now you understand 70% of the content, that's a success. And so just getting kids to see their growth in math 
and not link it directly to a letter grade, I guess. And so it's hard. It's really hard, especially in this day and age, is to get parents to understand that like sometimes a hard-earned C is a really good year for a math student who's enjoying the learning process. Right. And you got my wheels turning here because you bring up something. I know there's people listening that are shaking their heads. They're saying like, yep, Tom has referenced something that they're struggling with as well. And I'm going to bring it back to the baseball. And I'm wondering, like in baseball, especially when you think about a ball team, like whether it's majors or I know you're in a college ball and you coach, I'm wondering on a baseball team, there's all these various strengths, right? And as a coach and as a player, when players are there, what's different about that scenario? Because like, I feel like in baseball or in other sports, there's almost like the player, the athlete sort of knows when they've grown quite a bit. And then usually at the end of the season, though, like something that's really different is like, we don't have to say like, oh, you were a C ball player this year. You were a D ball player. So like, great job going from a D to a C. I'm wondering, like, how might we maybe like leverage some of what we do in like sports or in things outside of school? And like, are there any elements that we might be able to bring into the classroom? Like, does that trigger anything for you as a coach? What does that look like or sound like for you as a ball coach? Do you have the same challenge or do you feel like your athletes feel differently about the progress that they've made? talk to our guys that so I told my baseball team all the time stories about my classroom and then vice versa my classroom always here and, and my job I tell them I work really hard to blend the two like to blend coaching and teaching into the same like your goals are the same you're trying to grow people whether it's in the math classroom or whether it's on a baseball field for us the way I explain it to our guys in the baseball piece of it is I say you belong in this program if you're adding to it or taking something from it to grow yourself. So you're either adding to others or you're taking away something. So similarly in a math classroom, did you add value to the conversation or by being around the conversation, did you take something that helped you grow? And so for me, that's how you can reflect each day, whether you, man, I really added a lot today. I had a great idea that I put out there or I listened to his idea or her idea and I took away from that and I'm going to grow from that piece of it. So I tell our kids in the classroom and our baseball players that, whether you're taking away something from the environment or the activity or the experience, or you're adding to the experience for others, that's when you know you belong. It's just try to get something. Out. And I told him just like a teacher, right? Whenever I go to a professional development opportunity, I may speak up or I may sit back in the back and just try to take in as much as I possibly can. Can you take one nugget from that math class? And for me, it's to get kids comfortable in them. I don't want to say comfortable sometimes is a bad word too, in the sense that you don't want to get so comfortable that you become lazy or that you become stagnant in your role. But I want students to get comfortable in the math class where they can ask to me the most important question, which is why. And with our baseball players, like if our baseball players walk out of a training session and we get done with something and I actually had them reflect, we do reflections in the math class on a Google form and we do it on our baseball team. And one of the questions we always ask is start, stop, continue. Like what's something we're doing in the math classroom that you would like us to stop doing was something you would like us to start doing and was something you'd like us to continue doing. And we do it with the baseball team too. And a lot of times the things that they want us to stop doing are the things that they don't understand the reason that we're doing them. And that's the same in the math classroom, right? Like I want you to stop assigning Alex homework, which is an online platform. I want you to stop assigning that. And if I don't have a good reason for assigning that to a student or the student doesn't understand why they're being assigned that, it was probably stop doing it. So a lot of times you see the stop piece of it, whether it's in baseball or math, it's because they don't understand the why behind 
what we're doing. And, and sometimes the stop doing is something that they're absolutely right on too. the kids say, and when you ask that question, you have to be vulnerable, right? Because they're going to say some things that may catch you off guard, but 99% of the time they're probably right. Whether it's safe or not. These are great messages. I think that you're sharing with us and you're sharing with your students. I especially like the aspect of you belong here. If you're adding something or you're taking something away. Like that makes a ton of sense. And you've given us some great examples on how that relates to the math class, but also your personal experience. And you did say one of your kind of big wonders or things you wanted to dig on here is having kids feel like they belong in the classroom. And then you also have mentioned along those lines of how do we define, I think, success differently for different people and how does that work in the classroom? But you're also giving us some great insights of how you're achieving those. So, Tom, I'm wondering, is the real issue here helping the kids understand this or is it helping the parents or where is this big issue for you? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. you mentioned the parents, I think we, or even myself mainly have to do a better job of really getting people to understand what goes on in the math classroom these days, right? Like how it's really changed for the better. And so if anybody has strategies out there, like we have an open house, we have a curriculum night, but in my opinion, it's not long enough or it doesn't give us enough time or opportunity to explain that. Does somebody have something that they put out to parents in an email, but then again, how do you know it got read? But a way to articulate that it's really not new math that everybody's so frustrated and upset with. It's actually thinking math. It's actually, because I think when we talked last time, we talked about algorithms and I try to explain to my students this day and age, like nobody's going to sit down and do three by three multiplication with the algorithm when computers are doing that for us. And so we'd rather understand strategies and ways to do it better. But I think like you said, being able to articulate that to parents, as well as I think at times, and not so much with me, but just the administrators and people that are going to field questions from parents about why are they doing it this way? Why are they challenging my students to think so much? We can get the answer so much quicker if we just write out this and do the matrix or the lattice method or whatever. I can get the answer with keep change flip. Why is he forcing my students to do use manipulatives and think about it this way? So yeah, I think that's a big challenge. How do you guys, do you have a way that you are articulate it to parents, administrators, curriculum directors, math coaches. Yeah. A lot of what you said is sort of, I think the answer to this challenge with like people outside of your class, like it sounds to me like you're doing an excellent job with your players, your team, your students, whichever group you're working with in terms of making sure they understand the why or when they don't, you're giving them an opportunity to tell you about it, right? So I love that stop idea, right? So stop, continue. What's the other one? Stop, start, continue. Start. Yeah, there you go. Stop, start, continue. So on that stop, like I think you're doing, it sounds like a great job with really getting a sense as to do students understand why we're doing what we're doing? 
And then if not, it forces you to kind of think like, oh, okay, I have to help that student understand why I assigned that. Or like you had mentioned, you might go, well, wait a second, maybe they're right. And maybe we should stop it. I wonder if there's something like that, that could, maybe it's not ready for say your parents and your admin, because I don't know if they know enough about it. So like you were saying, it's like they need more time to understand the why. And it's like your messaging is very clear on thinking. I heard the word thinking a lot in this conversation and in the last conversation we had. And really, it's all about helping them to be better problem solvers, better reasoners, right? Like to be able to reason their way through something is so key. I wonder if maybe kind of working towards like having an open, call it like an open class after school sort of thing where maybe your parents come in, you actually engage them in a task so that maybe they can experience it. And obviously it's got to be a well enough selected task where no one feels that they're not at a place to enter into the task because that's really scary for adults, right? Parents might come in sort of feeling like I'm not really a math person. Some other options too might be even just sending home a short little snippet of something. So whether it's you doing it or whether it's something like maybe a Howie, one of Howie's videos, right? A short little clip and be like, Hey, this is like a good, and he's really great at keeping it short, like a minute, two minutes on why we want to do X, Y, or Z differently. Like, so just little tiny things might be enough to kind of breadcrumb that group, whether it's an admin who's maybe like not understanding why does Tom's class look different than the way I remember math class, right? Some admin are super supportive of that. Others maybe aren't, right? If they're hearing pressure from parents. So I think like ensuring that they have some opportunities, not all parents are going to engage, right? Or take you up on it. But I wonder if that's like just this little thing, like if it was like, call it like a once a week thing where it's like, hey, here's some homework for parents, but it's not hard. It's just something really easy and accessible for them to have a look at. Now, honestly, and I could phrase this completely wrong. I talk to my students about this sometimes, but I remember, I don't know if it was your podcast or something because I'm so addicted to Twitter. It's a bad thing. But I remember reading something about Canadian math standards, like almost like power standards. And I thought like reasonableness of answers was one of the things that kept showing up in the standards, in the math standards. Am I right on like reasonableness of answer? Is there, I felt like there was four or five like main concepts that all around math. So there's kind of, there's like two, there's the practice standards from Common Core. Is Ohio Common Core? No. Yes, we are. Yes, you are. Yes. Okay. So you have your math practice standards where some of that language comes out through those. And then ours are called the process expectations in Ontario. Different provinces have different curriculum, much like the pre-Common Core era in the US. But yeah, our process expectations are very non-content based, right? They're very like process-based, problem-solving strategies, all of those pieces there. So it may or may not have been something referring to those. Yeah. And I was thinking along the lines of what Kyle was suggesting for communicating to parents and other stakeholders in the sense of, I think when we try to show people a different way of thinking or a different way of trying things, not necessarily it's about math. It could be about other things, like a different way of your batting stance or the way that you're going to approach the ball. It's, I think people have to experience a small success so that they then become believers. Like I think when Kyle suggests like get them in the room 
and give them the task so that they can experience that success and go, ah, like that's one way to do it. But I think also what you could also be doing is if we can't get them all in the room, because that might be a logistical thing or, but it could also be like sending home or communicating home, like small little successes, like celebrate successes with a certain student and saying like, this is where they were, this is where they are, or it's highlighting a strategy that was useful in solving a multiplication problem with decimals, or maybe it was adding or fractions and they had used a certain strategy that you want to highlight. And it's like, it's something that maybe when you're thinking about Peter's book in the thinking classroom, like they, you might highlight a strategy here with the full class, but it might also be something you're like, you know what, we could highlight this strategy and send that home. So it might be even like a short video could go out to the parents by whatever your communication method happens to be. It could be just a picture of a work and it kind of like a short explanation from the student to say, this is how I solve this problem. So like sometimes I think parents get worried at home about what's happening in the classroom because they don't see success. And they're like, because if a student comes home and is like, ah, the math is just so tough. And it's like, here's the questions I have. And the parent's like, I don't know how to do this because I'm trying to solve it the way your teacher does, but you don't know how to do it. So then there's a fight, right? And then parents like, I got to call the teacher or I got to call the vice principal or I got to call someone to like, see what's going on here. Like you probably don't get calls from people that are like, they either understand it or they've helped their kid or the kid didn't have a problem to begin with or struggle with anything. So it's like, what could we do to send some of these small successes home to highlight, hey, these things are working because if they can see that, hey, these things work or these things are helpful, I might be more inclined to be on board to help my kids also feel those successes. So that might be a strategy that you could also communicate if there's that disconnect that's happening between what's happening in the classroom and the strategies you're doing and what kids are showing at home or what parents are seeing at home. That's helpful. That's helpful. Yeah, I got to do a better job of that for sure. So I love it. Well, we've got quite a few ideas here floating around. I'm wondering what might be like your biggest takeaway from either your experience over this past year or so, or maybe from our conversation tonight in terms of some next steps for you as you look ahead to the next school year? Twofold, I think. I love the idea of just sending some stuff home for parents to see, especially maybe with a video or like you said, highlighting certain strategies. And for me, I think it's getting students to understand like what exactly fun is. And I've been trying to define, I just got done with a youth camp and we had a youth camp Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for our baseball kids. And I defined for them. I try to explain to them in baseball, like fun for me is defined as doing difficult things. Well, like that's fun. So when you sign up for a baseball team, if you're winning every game, 18 to nothing, eventually it's not fun anymore. And so in the math classroom, I think about it very much the same way if the math problems are always basic and I already know how to do them, I'm just going through them. That's not much fun. But if I have strategies and I'm a really good problem solver and I can reason through certain problems that are difficult and I can do the difficult well, then it becomes fun. And so just trying to get parents to understand that productive struggle is a positive. It's the only way they're going to have fun because we've had parents who'd say, should my kid be in a different core or should they be in a different class because they're struggling? And they're getting that hard-earned B and they're showing really good skills and they're developing really strong student skills. 
they just don't have the 98% slash a hundred percent that they're used to having. Right. And to me, sometimes a hundred percent is very scary. It's like that team that goes 25 and zero in the summer and you're like, man, I don't know if that's a good thing. And I think hundred percent in math, I mean, I don't get too caught up in sixth grade scores. I don't think Harvard's calling to ask what you got sixth grade math, but a hundred percent is kind of scary. If you knew a hundred percent of the material, the whole entire time, all the time, that's why I think we need to go to standards based grade as well, but that's a whole nother discussion for another day because the hundred percent is kind of like, I don't understand what that says about the student's journey in your math class. They got a hundred percent all work quarters of the year, but yeah, I think taking the big takeaway is just how to communicate at home that one that we're taking care of your math student. We're going to push them. We're going to grow them. And hopefully they're going to have the right type of fun in the classroom and the right thinking in the classroom. And how do I articulate that home so that parents are calling in worried about their student? Right. And that's a great takeaway. And I'm glad we've come to that realization for you. And I think what you were talking about before about like this war, there's an aspect of being bored. There's an aspect of being like challenged too much. Like that's about managing flow. I know Peter talks about that in his book about where's the right flow. Like if we can get kids challenged enough, but not too much, but also not bored, then we're in the sweet spot. And that's an important place to be if we're going to build thinking classrooms, if we're going to use problem-based lessons or lots of different routines. Tom, I want to thank you for joining us here. And again, hey, we're going to hold you up here and see if you're game for another check-in next year. I don't know. Hey, would you be up for that next year? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. It's great to see the journey of so many educators. We're getting so many more of our math moment makers coming back on to kind of update us on the journey. It's so great when we see the growth. Tom, I know we don't know you face to face personally, but just based on the last conversation we had and then hearing where you are now, it's like it's clear to us that we see that you as an educator are growing as well. You probably notice like John and I are growing as well. Like we're all growing and clearly you're putting a lot of time and effort into what you're doing in the classroom. And every single little bit of that is paying off and it's paying dividends in the long run. And I think the more we do this as educators, the easier it becomes for us to demonstrate that to our students. And clearly your message here that we heard again tonight is very clear that you try to help students understand the why you try to help them like doing hard things. Sometimes it's very difficult for students to understand, right? And you're helping them to explicitly understand that hard things is not a bad thing, right? That's actually a good thing. So good on you for that. For those who are listening, and are looking, they're going, yeah, like we mentioned Howie's uh, short video clips. Also on our Math Moments YouTube channel, you'll find that there's little videos, like short videos, sometimes five to 15 minutes. Like John, for example, just did one last week about solving equations on number lines with number lines. So using little bits like that can be helpful for parents to kind of go through that progression and to kind of understand like, oh, okay, I understand why this is and how this works. So that might be another place for people to consider. But whatever you do, just, yeah, those little touch points with parents can go a really long way. So glad to hear that you're going to consider that. And my friend, until next time, we will check in with you. And of course, don't be a stranger on social media because we know you're on Twitter and we will see you there. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome stuff. Take care, Tom. Talk soon. Have a good one, my friend. Thank you. 
Well, Math Moment Makers, as always, both John and I love having these conversations. In particular, like not only do we enjoy Math Mentoring Moment episodes in general, but when we have a chance to do the Where Are They Now episodes and hearing that growth. And John, you articulated it really well in the introduction, just sort of how like there was a clear like shift in that thinking, like he's in a different place now than he was over a year ago, which is so fantastic to sort of hear. So if you haven't checked out episode 129, or maybe you did, and maybe you want to give it a re-listen, it's so great. And it kind of models or mimics something that we need to be in tune in our classrooms to as well as that long-term change It's so easy to assess students where they are and we're just constantly assessing them, but to be able to actually go back and sort of like revisit conversations, right? And it makes you think about how we assess students. Like, is it a worthwhile opportunity for us to record a conversation with a student every once in a while near the beginning of the year and then near the end of the year? Like, that's one of the big takeaways I'm having is just hearing some of that change and where Tom's in a different place now, of course, we always talk about it. The struggle never ends. There's always something new that we're going to be working on, but you can see that he's making progress on his journey. And now he's even looking to try to affect parent understanding of what's going on in the math classroom, which I think is so helpful, right? When you can open up that line of communication, get parents on board, get stakeholders on board to sort of support students and teachers on this journey together as a team and great things are going to happen. So awesome on Tom. We really appreciate him taking the time to check in with us and the Math Moment Maker community. Yeah. And we would love to talk with you on your pebble in your shoe. We'd love for you to come on here and chat with Kyle and I and kind of talk about what's rolling around there. We brainstorm next steps so that you can go back to your classroom the next day and try those or maybe the next year if you are on summer holidays like we are just about to be. But hey, please do that. Head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. Fill out a couple sentences there to let us know what you're kind of working through. And we would love to hop on a call with you just to work that out. So, hey, you can be on the next Math Mentoring Moment episode. Fantastic. And John, people are listening or watching this somewhere. So we're going to ask you, we're going to hope, ask you this small favor to stop and hit that subscribe button or hit that like button if you are watching on YouTube. And that goes a long way. If you are on Apple Podcasts, rating and review is super helpful. And we thank you again for taking time to hang out with us for yet another episode. What is this? Episode 186. Lots of math love going around here. And hey, show notes, links to resources from this episode, plus complete transcripts that you can read right on the web or take with you. Head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 186. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 186. Well, John, you know what that means, right? I know, I know, I know it. Until next time, Math Moment Makers, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And a big high five for you. (laughs) 
if you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.